Remember the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Um, I forgot what the show was like. I thought it was that British woman who was like kind of angry. Remember that? That was the weakest link, right? <laughs> I looked on Wikipedia yesterday. It wasn't her. It was Reach. And after that, it was Meredith. Meredith's been doing it for a long time, but I think she's done now. I'm not sure. Is it still on? Does anyone know? It's a daytime show, it's a daytime show now. Perfect. That's a lot of information. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Remember that show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, right? This is the show where you had about 10 questions to go through. And if you could answer all 10 questions or something like that, you won like a million dollars. You will find I know very little about this show. I never actually watched it. Um, but you go through these questions, and if you uh, answer all of them, you win like a million dollars. And you could stop at any point, and you could take that money. And as you go, the questions got harder and harder. Um, it was very dramatic. It took like an hour for them to ask, ask 10 questions, which was always frustrating to me. <clears throat> um, but you might remember this, that in this show, once the questions got harder, you had three options that you could use to get the correct answer. And they were called lifelines. Remember that? Um, the first one was you could have the people eliminate half of the multiple choice questions. There was like four options for every question, and you could have them eliminate half. So you had to choose between two, basically. That was one lifeline. Another lifeline was basically to poll the audience. Uh, they had little things, and you could click, and it told you, you know, 65% of the people think it's A, 10% think B, that sort of thing. And that was the second lifeline. And the third lifeline was you could phone a friend. You could pick up a phone and call, um, you know, and you had to think about it. You had to say, if this is a history question, who am I going to ask? Well, I'm going to ask my dad. He's into history. He's into politics. He knows this. That's right. Uh, if it's a sports question, I know who my sports lifeline will be. If it's a math question, I know who my math lifeline will be. Um, I know who my lifeline will be for all of these kind of trivia things. And I was thinking about this. It got me to thinking, for things that matter, for like real life, do you have a life lifeline. You're faced with a problem in your marriage. You're faced with a problem with one of your children. You're entering college. You're getting a new job. Um, someone's ill in your family, and you're not quite sure how to deal with it. Do you have a life lifeline? Do you have someone who you could pick up the phone and phone, and phone that friend? We're in the middle of this series right now called Just Face It. It's about facing the change that's facing you. And um, for all of us, no matter what you believe, if you're a Jesus follower or not, there is a change that's coming. There's something on the horizon, something down the road that you don't quite know how to, how to face, that you don't know how to handle, you don't know how to tackle. This is like a universal thing. There is change that is facing all of us. And the question we're asking throughout this series is um, how, will, how, will you, how will you face it? Change is facing you. How, will you. how will you face it? The thing is, when life isn't hard, when everything is stable, um, when the waters are calm and you've sailed that river, you've sailed that lake before, you don't need the lifeline, right? But when things change, that's when you need it. When um, there's money on the line, right? When the stakes are higher. You need to reach out and use that lifeline, right? Um, when things like your marriage is on the line, or things like your career is on the line, things like your future, that's the time where you need to pick up that phone and phone a friend. Um, when the questions get harder, when life gets 
harder. And life will get harder for each and every one of us at some point, at some season in our lives. Life, life got harder once for me. Only once. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, life got harder once for me. And it was about, you know, we're doing child dedications today. So this sort of came to me. Um, it was a few months after our first son, our first child, Zeke, was born. Um, Amanda and I, we had been married for four or five years at this point, uh, and there was nothing hard about Zeke. Like, Zeke was an easy baby. He was healthy. That wasn't the issue. Um, it wasn't that we didn't know how to, how to raise children or do that whole parenting thing. I mean, I'm still figuring it out, and we have three of them now. Um, but Amanda is like all-star mom. She knows the diapers. She knows the creams. She knows the schedules, the naps, the whole, the whole story. Like, that wasn't our issue. The issue that we faced, the time when life got harder for me and for us, it was, it was a few months after Zeke was born, and it was the time where she had to go back to work. Uh, her, her, her dream growing up as a little girl up until the point where she was a mom um, was to be a mom who could stay at home with her kids. That was, that was what she wanted. She didn't want to miss, possibly miss the first steps or possibly miss the first words. She wanted to be there to drop um, little Zeke off at preschool and to do all those and to see all those things and to experience those things. She wanted to be the mom who could go in and be the class mom and whatnot. And so we had Zeke in July and she had a few months of maternity leave and she went back like later in the fall. Uh, and when she had to go back, and I'll spare you the details, I'll spare her the details. Um, <laughs> When she, when she had to go back, it was, not, it was not easy. It was a really, really hard time. Every, every morning was an uphill battle. Every morning was an uphill climb to get out that door and to, and to get to work. I mean, there were tears shed. There was a lot. Like, it, was, it was a really hard time. We had been together, married for four or five years. We were dating since we were 16, though. And so I've seen a lot of her. I've seen a lot of hard things. I've seen her go through a lot of hard things. And this was the hardest thing I had ever seen her have to go through and have to endure. Um, and I, I, quite frankly, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what to do about it. Um, I also knew that it was kind of my fault because I had quit um, a career in engineering where you might make enough money to have a stay-at-home job. And I quit to go to school to make no money, um, to do this sort of work, which is great work, but it's not the kind of work that's going to generate a salary that is going to allow a stay-at-home mom in Monmouth County. This is an expensive place to live. And so I knew this was kind of my fault anyway. Um, and so I didn't know what to do. And so I did what any good, caring, wise, empathetic, loving husband would do. I ignored it. <laughs> I hid under a pile of coats, and hoped everything would work out. I buried my head in the sand and just hoped it would go away. I pretended there was no big problem. There were no emotions. This wasn't a hard thing. And if you've ever had the experience, husband or wife, of ignoring the thing that is the most heart-wrenching, crushing, heavy thing on your spouse's heart, you know how that goes. Here's a little bit of advice. Don't do that. It doesn't, it doesn't go well, because from there, things like resentment set in, and things like bitterness, and things like, um, I don't have 
a partner in this to go through it with, and it, it was just hard, and it got hard, and that's, that's sort of the way life was. Um, I didn't know what to do, and I didn't have anyone to go to. All of my friends, not all my friends, most of my friends weren't like as married as I was. Um, they didn't have kids like I had, and so they wouldn't have understood. Uh, the few friends I did have who were older and who were married and had kids, um, I had seen too much of their marriages, and I had knew, like, I don't want to ask them for advice because I don't really trust what they would have to say. There were a few older people who, like, I respected, I looked up to, and I didn't want to go to them because I didn't think they'd understand, but really, I didn't want to bother them. I didn't want to be a bother. And more importantly, and just being honest, um, I wanted them to respect me. I wanted them to think I'm great, right? And if I opened up myself to these older men who, I, who could have given me answers, I would have been showing that I don't really have what it takes. And I always prided myself on being a really good husband, like on being a really good listener, of knowing exactly what my wife needed. And so for me to like open up that door to these older, wiser men, um, I wasn't going to do that. Because what I wanted them to think, what I wanted to actually think about myself, is that I got this. Like, I'm a man. I'm a smart dude. I can figure this out on my own. I'm, I'm resourceful. I'm strong. I'm tough. I'm independent, right? Um, the phrase is, every man is an island, right? Uh, <laughs> that was a joke. The phrase was, no man is an island. Um, that was, you know... That was me, right? Because um, I, didn't, I didn't know where to go. I, I didn't have anyone to go to. The wisdom from Scripture has a word for the sort of thing I was doing, and the word is foolishness. I was being foolish. I was being a fool. Um, the wisdom from Scripture, a book called Proverbs. Look at the way the book of Proverbs talks about the sort of thing I was doing. Those who trust in themselves are fools. I thought I could do this on my own. I didn't need anyone's advice. Even if I had someone to go to, I was too proud to go to them anyway. I could trust in my own ability to get through this. I trusted myself. I want you to think for a moment about the thing in your life that's causing you to say, gosh, I don't know how to go through this. I don't know what to do. It might be a situation just like mine. I mean, a lot of us here um, are, are, are married and with children, and that creates an entire um, you know, array of issues, of problems and whatnot. Like Maybe you're, you had a happy marriage and things have been going really well, but all of a sudden there's a new factor, and you don't know what to do about that. Maybe you're someone who, um, you're like a superstar mom, and you have it nailed, but there's some new problem, there's some new dimension, and you don't know, quite know what to do about it. Maybe you're entering a new phase of life, you're going to college, right? Or you're going from like middle school to high school, or you're just going to a new school, you're starting a new job, you're leaving your old job. Maybe there's a new illness in your family, and you're saying to yourself, I don't, I don't know what to do. This is uncharted waters for me. Whatever it is, I want you to ask yourself, are you being foolish or are you not? Are you being wise? Are you trusting in only yourself and your ingenuity and your wisdom and your intelligence to get through this? 
or not. Because there's another way forward. There's another way forward. And uh, it's written about here. Those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. If you're able to walk in wisdom rather than just trusting in yourself, you are able to be kept safe. And if only we knew what it meant to walk in wisdom. The guy who wrote this, he was a man named Solomon, King Solomon. I talked about him two weeks ago. Um, he was, he was one of the greatest kings of God's people, Israel. He was the successor to his father, David. David was the greatest king of Israel. By the time Solomon became king, his father had won all of the victories, had won all the wars, he had conquered everything. And so when Solomon became king, he didn't ask for military might, he didn't ask for power, he didn't ask for victory. What he asked for was wisdom. And so God like, loved that about Solomon, and God poured that wisdom onto Solomon so that Solomon became the wisest person in the entire world. There were um, leaders and kings and queens from other, other kingdoms um, that were bigger, that were more powerful, that were more impressive than Israel, that would come to Solomon to sit at his feet and learn from him. He was the wisest person in the world, and even Solomon knew what we often forget, that you can't go through this sort of stuff alone. It's better to have people around you who are trusted, who can speak uh, truth and wisdom into your life. Look at the way he puts it in another one of his Proverbs. He says, for, a, for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. And I think I think we know this. I doubt any of you would fight me on this, right? I doubt any of you would say, no, 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 I don't want to learn from other people. Let me just make all the mistakes on my own. Think about the times where you've had those conversations with people who are wiser and who you can open up to. Doesn't that just feel great? To be able to sit with someone at a restaurant and, and, to, and to speak and to be heard and to be understood and to be like, oh, man, someone's been through this before. There is light at the end of this tunnel. There is a way forward. I can't see it, but there is one. When you have that kind of conversation, if you've been blessed enough to have one, you know that things that previously felt so heavy that you couldn't carry them, all of a sudden they feel like lighter, and maybe you can. Things that seem so dark that you couldn't see a way through the tunnel, all of a sudden there's light shed on it, and there, there actually can be, there, there can be a way forward. The fact is, there will be a season in everyone's life, and maybe you're in the midst of that season right now, where how you will do, whether you will sink or swim, whether you will sail the ship or you will take the ship down with you, where all of that depends on whether you're willing to reach out to a lifeline, to speak wisdom, to speak truth, to speak what you need to hear into your life. There's a point for all of us where that's what it might come down to. And I think that you know this. I think that you know this. No one's going to fight me on this. No, one, no one's going to be like, yeah, yeah, I want to make the mistakes. I don't want to learn from your mistakes. That's silly because you're too smart for it. And yet, we don't always pick up the phone. We don't always reach out for the lifeline. There's something here that can help us that if we reach out and grab the here, we can get help and we don't do it. Sometimes because we're foolish. 
The question is why? Why don't we pick up that lifeline? Now, there's a lot of answers to the question why, right? Um, for some of us, we're just too impulsive. We're too um, impatient. We're too anxious in the moment. The idea of pressing pause, stepping back, and saying, hey, let me run this by someone, that's something that's not on our radar because we are too anxious about that. We need to get it done now. That's one reason. Another reason, maybe you've gotten advice before. You've opened yourself up. You've become vulnerable. You've asked for advice before, and the advice was so bad that you're just turned off to it. Or the person who you asked did something wrong with your vulnerability, and that's made it so that you don't want to ask for advice anymore, right? For some of us, and I know this, your life is so upside down. You are so underwater. Your ship is so close to sinking that you're not thinking about wise and unwise. You're just holding on to that life preserver, hoping that you can stay alive through it. So wise and unwise isn't even, isn't even on your radar. What we're going to do, for, um, really for the rest of our time, is go through what I think, though, are the three biggest reasons why we don't pick up the phone, why we don't um, reach out for that lifeline. For some of these, you're going to be like, that's not me at all. I don't understand that one. For some of these, you're going to be like, yes, that is me. It's like you know who I am. It's like you've known me all your life. So what keeps us from asking? What keeps us from asking? The first thing is that we think we, think we already know, right? And this is just deadly. We think that we know, that we've got this, that we're smarter than this problem. We can tackle this, that we can handle this. This is not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. Um, I can figure this out on my own. Or, or um, I know what you're going to say, and I think I'm smarter than you anyway, and I know what you're going to say, and I don't want to hear what you have to say, right? We think, we think that we already know, right? Um, the joke with men, right, is we don't stop and ask for directions, right? Um, but it's not just men that deal with this, right? Uh, it's, it's all of us. I mean, having a baby and uh, seeing your wife go through something that's difficult, um, I can figure that out on my own. I can handle that, right? Raising a handful of kids, each with, their, each with their own personalities, each with their own difficulties and needs, I'm super mom. I don't need help from someone else. I can do that on my own. I got this. You know, entering the next phase of life, um, high school, college, marriage, um, retirement, owning a home, new relationships, losing people. I've seen people go through that before, right? I've seen that on TV. I've seen my parents do that. I've seen my friends do it, and I know I'm smarter than my friends. Like, I can imagine what to do. I don't need help. I, I got this. I'm wise enough to tackle anything. And look at, look at what Solomon says about, says about people like us. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Because at least a fool knows enough not to, not to think he knows when he doesn't know. Maybe. At least a fool has a chance to know that he doesn't know. But someone who is wise in their own eyes, who, has, who, have, who have filled up their own vision with their own wisdom, is blind, is unable to accept someone else's wisdom. And the deal here, what we're talking about here, is pride. Thinking that you've got what it takes, that you know, when really you don't know. One of the biggest dangers with this one is that the areas that we consider ourselves experts in 
are the areas where we are at the most danger to fall victim to this sort of thing. And here's what I mean by that. I prided myself on being a good husband. I knew what Amanda needed. I knew what it took to fulfill her needs, all that sort of stuff. And so if I admitted to someone else that I didn't know what it takes, what does that do to me? What does that make me look like, right? That makes me look like I actually don't know enough. I'm actually not good at this. And the areas where we are most expert, those are the areas that, are, that we fall victim to this, that we fall victim to this the most. You know, if you're a finance guy, you're going to have a really hard time admitting that you need help with finances. If you're um, someone who is like a superstar mom, everyone loves the way that you're a mother, it's going to be really hard for you to admit to other moms that you actually don't have it all together because you want to think that you want to have it all together. And so what does it take to walk in wisdom, as Solomon said? What does it take? It takes us being humble enough to know that we don't know everything, that someone else might know better, that someone else might know what we need to know, and for us to actually ask them. And this gets into the next reason, the second reason um, why we don't ask. And it's, and it's this. We're too afraid to be honest. We're too afraid to be honest that, yes, we don't know, but we're too afraid to be honest, what's more, about where we really are about who we really are, about how strong, how capable, um, how firm our foundation actually is. We're too afraid to open the hood and take a look at what's going on underneath this because if we did, if we saw that the engine is running out of gas, it's about to seize up, it's about to fail, that's scary. That's scary. There's a famous tool that like psychiatrists and therapists use and whatnot um, to help people understand themselves and the way that they encounter and impact the world. And it's called the Johari window. It looks, it looks like this. Um, the word Johari, it sounds like this is some ancient Eastern wisdom or something like that, right? Um, it's actually just the combination of the two guys who made this up, a guy named Joe and a guy named Harrington. So this is not like ancient wisdom. This is like Joe and Harry made this up. So it's called the Johari window. Um, and here's the way that this works. That first box up there, box one, um, this is the stuff that you know about yourself and that everyone else knows about you, right? This is stuff you know, everyone knows. We can just see it. Everyone knows what that is. Um, that's the first box. The second box is the stuff that uh, like, everyone else knows about you, but you don't know about you. This is what we would call your blind spots. This is the stuff that people know about you, that they talk about you behind your back, right? This is the stuff where you've said to someone, how can they not see that about themselves? This is why. This is the blind spot, the stuff that um, you don't know it, but everyone else, everyone else knows it. And then the third box down there, this is the stuff that you don't know about yourself and no one else knows about you. This is what we would talk about as like unmet potential. This is like the part of you that hasn't been realized yet, the part of you that hasn't come out yet that can come out. If you can just grow box one, box four will shrink, right? You will meet more of your potential, or uh, box three will shrink. But that, but that fourth box up there, that's what's called the facade. That's the stuff that no one else knows about you, but you know it about you. That's the stuff that you're hiding, that you don't want anyone else to see, right? That's the stuff where, man, if you let that out, what would people think about you? Because everyone thinks that you're the successful, confident business guy, but inside you're just insecure and you go to bed crying every night, 
right? Um, everyone thinks that you are, are, are just this, this awesome mom who has it all together, but inside you are just torn up in knots with anxiety about whether or not you're doing okay, right? That's, that's the facade. This is the stuff we're afraid to let out. We're afraid to be vulnerable with. The whole deal with this Johari window is that if you could expand that first box, if you could learn more about yourself, um, and if you could reveal more about yourself, you're going to grow as a person. And here's the way that this works. Um, if other people tell you what you don't know about yourself, if other people help you see your blind spots, you're going to learn more and you're going to grow. You're going to say, oh, I didn't know that about myself. Now that I do, I can recalibrate. I can readjust. I could do things differently. I'm going to grow with that. Um, and then if you reveal to other people stuff that you're hiding in here, um, that facade is going to get smaller. You're going to take that down. You're going to meet more of your potential. And you're going to grow as a person. But that is what's so hard to do. Because that just takes honesty. That takes humility. That's what takes you saying, like, I know, I know it's scary to reveal this stuff, but I'm going to do it anyway because someone needs to know this. I need to be able to talk this through with someone. I was talking to someone this week um, who works with men a lot, and, and we were talking about this concept, and what he said to me was, um, do you know where this turns up more than any other place? Finances. Men do not want to let it out that they're not doing well financially. It's too embarrassing. It's too hard to be honest, to be real about that. And so what happens is they just hide that, and they buy nicer things to hide the fact that things aren't going well, um, and what happens is that debt, that debt gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and that hole gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and because they're afraid to ever ask someone who actually has the wisdom to help pull them out of that, they never get the help, and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's what we do when we're afraid to open up like that. You don't seek counsel. Look at, look at what Solomon has to say about people like that. He said, plans fail for lack of counsel but with many advisors, they succeed. Plans fail, you fail if you don't have counsel, if you're afraid to ask, if you're afraid to be honest, you won't ask and you won't be honest. You won't get that counsel and you will suffer. You will bring other people down with you. That was one of the hardest things about the situation with Amanda and I. It wasn't just me that was suffering, but it was her, I brought her down, I brought her down with me. This is why it's so important to have trusted advisors, counselors, to have trusted lifelines, trusted people who you know you can say anything to, you could reveal anything to, you could be totally honest with, you could invite them into your struggle. They can see your weaknesses and they're still going to love you. They're still going to support you. They're still going to believe in you. And this goes directly into the third reason. For many of us, it's not we don't have many advisors. It's we don't have any advisors. The third reason we don't ask for help is because we don't know who to ask. We don't have the people to ask. You can say, I know I don't have what it takes. I know I don't know how to get through this. I know that I am not smart enough. I thought I was, and I'm not, and I'm not even ashamed. I'm not afraid to say that anymore. But I don't know who to ask. I don't know, I don't know who to go to. Here's how Solomon sheds light on this. 
He says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. If we don't know who to ask, it means that we've surrounded ourselves with the wrong kind of people. We haven't surrounded ourselves with the right, the wise kind of people, the people who could speak into your life what you need to hear. And look, there is value in the friend who has your back regardless of whether you're right or wrong, right? Um, There is value in the friend who will drop everything to help you move or to put in a toilet or to pick you up at the airport. There is value in that friend. Um, There is value in the friend who you just have fun with. And it's so much fun to be with her. It's so much fun to be with him. And you have so much fun. There is value in that. There is value in the friend who will yes you to anything that you say, anything you do. There is value in that. But the real value is in the friend who will say no. The real value is in the friend who, when they see you going in the wrong direction, will say, no, 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 turn around and go a different way. The friend who will ask the tough questions, who will push back. The friend um, who will kind of unveil a bit of that second window of those blind spots so you can realize a little more unknown about yourself. That friend will risk the hard thing in order to make you better. That friend will be open about their own failures, about their own experiences, so that you can learn from them and not make the same mistakes that they made. Because what we need in these situations is not always information. What we need is someone who is going to love you enough to be honest with you and allow you to be honest with them. Someone who's going to care for you enough to deliver that truth that you've been running from, who counts you so dearly and so highly that they want to hold you accountable. Walk with the wise and become wise. If you're, if you're facing some change that you don't know how to face, here's, here's what I want you to say to yourself. This is the time to take out your phone. You could text this to yourself. You could take a photo of it. Once up on the screen, make it your background. You can insta-snap it. Here it is. This is what you want to say to yourself, right? Flashbulbs and all. I need wise people. I need wise people. I need to know wise people. I need to invest in relationships with those people. I need need to put my pride aside and I need to ask them. I need to cultivate those relationships. There is where I need to value my time and my energy. Build that relationships, those relationships now. Seek out those people, those wise people now, before the going gets tough. Because when you're in the middle of tough, When you're on the boat, you're in the sea, you don't know how to get things straight, you don't know what you're doing, that's not the time to be building those relationships. Because when we're in that situation, we're not thinking and acting um, rationally, we're acting reactively. And what happens is we start to think in terms of how can we get through this? How can I get through this? How can I do this? How can I have that conversation to make me not look so stupid, right? Um, how can I use my ingenuity to get through this? How can I figure this out? And then all of a sudden, it just becomes, what about we and what about we know? We start thinking, how, how can I get through? How, how, how? And the question that we need to be asking in that situation is not first, how am I going to get through this? The question is, who's going to get me through it? Who's going to help me through it? You need a who. Not in the Dr. Seuss sense of who. Um, but in the who can get me through this, you need a lifeline. You need someone who can speak into your life just like this. 
And the neat thing about this, for those of us who are Jesus followers, for those of us who are part of this church, this, this, this what's called the body of Christ here, this is the way that Jesus always intended for his church to work. There's a famous passage in the New Testament in the letter to the Corinthians. It's also in Ephesians where uh, this guy Paul who wrote this stuff, he takes his time to talk about how a local body of Christians like we are here in this room, um, how we're meant to work together. And he talks about it like we're a body with different parts. There's hands and there's feet and there's eyes and there's mouths and there's brains and hearts and all kinds of things. And the way that this works is that the body is meant to rely on the other parts of the body. So, like, the foot is meant to rely on the ankle, which is relying on um, the leg and the knee and the hip and the body and all of that. We need one another to work together for this to happen. This is one of the reasons why we have organized our body here at Park Church in the way that we have. Um, this is why we invest so heavily in community groups. These are, um, like, weekly meetings of 10 to 15 adults who can help one another in this way, where you can meet people who are not just like you and form relationships. It's why we want them to be people of different places in life and different um, ages and different experiences. And if you've been a part of this, one that's going well, you know how valuable this is. I've been a part of one that's going well for many years now, and I can't tell you how much um, Amanda and I and the people in my group, how much we have gained, how much we have grown, how much wisdom we've learned. And it's not just from people who are older. It's from people who like, are, are the same age or younger, but are just in a different place. Um, if you are not part of a local body like that, part of a community group, when we restart them in the fall, I want to encourage you to get, to get into one, to get involved with one. Because if you're not putting yourself in situations where you have a chance to meet people who are wise like you are, you're never going to meet people who are wise, right? Wise people aren't always easy to find, but if you think you already know, or if you're too proud to be honest, or too afraid to be honest, if you're not willing to find one in a local body of believers, people who you're sitting next to now, who you're worshiping with, who you're um, drinking coffee with and praying with, then you're not going to find them. The way it works in the church is that God puts these people into our lives. It's weird. Again and again, he puts unexpected people into our lives, and he weaves together these providential, these pivotal relationships. We think we're doing church. We think we're doing community group. We think we're going to someone's house on Wednesday night. But what Jesus is doing is he is knitting together his body to grow you, to grow you into the man, the woman who you were meant to be, so that we can be his body in the world doing the work that he's called us to do. That's that's really the point of this morning's message. Um, seek, out, seek out wise people to ask. Seek out the lifelines. Develop, foster those meaningful relationships so that when you face the change that's facing you, you can learn from their wisdom and you can walk safely so that you don't go down with the ship and take everyone else down with you. Now, just to wrap up my story, I'll close with this. Um, to be honest here, when it came down to Amanda and going back to work and the baby and all that sort of stuff, I would love to get up here and tell you that, like, great news, I found the person to call. I found the person to talk to. 
And I talked to him, and he shed light on everything I needed, and all my problems went away, and it was rainbows and lollipops. Um, that wasn't the story. The way it worked was I didn't call anyone. I didn't know who to ask. I didn't talk to anyone, and the ship went down. I mean, it was a rough time. It was, a, it, it was probably the hardest time in our marriage. It was a year of struggle and pain again and again, again and again. Now, like the happy ending is that we've since had two babies since then, and Zeke is now nine, and he's alive and fine, and we're all good. Um, and we didn't struggle like we did for, those, um, for Zeke. We didn't struggle with those other two babies because I made the mistakes myself, and I could learn from them. But I have to be honest, I wish I didn't need to. I wish I could have learned from someone else's experience, from someone else's mistakes, because I didn't want to go through that pain. But more importantly, I wish I didn't drag Amanda through that pain. I wish I didn't make her have to endure um, my failures, my foolishness. Mark Twain once said something like, um, wisdom is the result of good judgment. And good judgment is the result of experience. And experience is the result of bad judgment. Learn from other people's bad judgment. Learn from their experience. Learn from their um, good judgment. Learn from their wisdom. Be humble enough to pick up that lifeline and call someone. Be courageous enough to open up about yourself to the right person, to the right group of people so that you can learn. Um, be willing to go outside of yourself and seek out the help that you need. Because when you do, and when you do that with another person in the body of Christ, that's how God is going to reach you. That's how God is going to speak to you. It's not always through a lightning bolt. Sometimes it's through the person who's sitting next to you. So that's my hope for you. That's my prayer for you. Um, that's what I want to see for this community, uh, that you'll find the lifeline and use it. Let's pray. God, we thank you, for, uh, thank you for your wisdom in Scripture. Thank you that we can count on you to always be present with us. Lord, you are our lifeline. You are always with us. You are there and you are present God, we thank you that you uh, have chosen to speak through and work through other people here in our local body of Christ. For those of us who are facing a change that we don't know how to go through, for those of us who are in the middle of a change, in the middle of a transition, in the middle of some, 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 some rough waters that we don't know how to get through, God, we pray that you would make your lifelines present to us. Give us wisdom to know that we don't know. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to be courageous about opening up. Make it so that we're willing to reach out and to reach up when we need it. Lord, we don't want to be people who drag others down or who make other people suffer, who cause the whole ship to go down. And so we pray that you would get us out of that situation. Put those people into our lives if we texted to ourselves or we snapshotted it with our phone, I need wise people, we pray for each and every one of us here or who's listening or who's watching online that you would send wise people into their lives and give them eyes to see that and willingness to share.
We thank you, Jesus, that you're with us, that you love us, that you are constant in our lives, even when everything else is changing. We pray in the name of our Lord. Amen.